Well, as I said earlier, we are doing something different for the next four weeks. The next four Sundays, we will be going through Advent, which, as I said before, means coming or arriving. And so it's a time for us to think about Jesus' first coming as we prepare to celebrate that at Christmas, as we look forward to his second coming. So we're going to look for the next four weeks at a small book in the Old Testament, the book of Haggai. Quick show of hands, how many of you knew that Haggai was in the Bible? All right. How many of you just wanted to raise your hand because you want to feel out of place? Okay, (laughs) just asking. Haggai is one of those books that is, if somebody asks you to say the, the books of the Bible or somebody's reciting it, and you get into those, those, the, the, the parts of the minor prophets, it gets confusing and it's hard to know who's where and what happened. Uh, for those of you who were here before, we walked through Habakkuk together, which was an adventure. Uh, and for the next four weeks, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to make it through these two chapters of Haggai. So Haggai is a minor prophet. What is Haggai? He's a what? Minor prophet, good. So that, it's not because his message isn't important. It's the word of God. It's all important. However, he's a minor prophet. He's classified as a minor prophet because his book is shorter. And some of you are like, praise God, because if, we're gonna, if you're going to try to preach through another book when we're going through John, that would take forever. So he's a minor prophet, and he's actually part of these 12 minor prophets, which are commonly referred to as the book of the 12. And they're all in the, in the Old Testament, and they all talk about Um, Jesus, the Messiah coming. They talk about to the nation of Israel and what was happening with Israel and Judah. And so we're going to look at what God may have for us in the coming weeks through Haggai. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually read through the text. I'm going to read through. We're going to do chapter one today. I'm going to read through the text. Then after I'm done reading through the text, I'm going to give you a, a background, a history, so you can understand where Haggai is in relation to the Bible and the rest of what's happened, okay? So follow along quietly as I read Haggai chapter 1. If you are in the uh, Pew Bibles, if you don't have one, there should be a Pew Bible there for you. I I think that's going to be on page 791, so you can open up there. Uh, If you have your own Bible, good luck uh, finding it. It's very small. If you go to Psalms, open up your Bible basically halfway, you'll get the Psalms. Go to the right. If you get to the New Testament, if you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. So, Follow along, I'm going to read, and then we'll jump into it. The book of Haggai. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it 
and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Background. Many of you are familiar with the Garden of Eden. Our ladies have been going through Genesis, and so they can teach you a lot more on it than I probably can. So if you have a question, go to the women who are in the Sunday school class. They will tell you. The Garden of Eden. We know that God creates Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. They're walking together. They're talking together. Everything is good. God says it's very good. And then the tempter comes. Satan. He comes and he tempts Eve. And we see Eve sins. We see Adam. He sins. And they disobey God. And through that comes death. Comes destruction. Comes shame. Comes guilt. We see that everything is ruined. Or at least that's what we think. But then in Genesis chapter 3, we see that God makes a promise. He says there's going to be a seed. There's going to be one who's going to come, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent, which we know is ultimately Jesus defeating Satan. But this one is going to have his heel bruised, which we ultimately know is Jesus dying on the cross, but he doesn't stay dead. He rises. So we see this promise that this one is going to come shortly after they're kicked out of the garden, and then we see that Cain kills Abel. We see the first murder. And we see that things get worse and worse. The earth gets populated, but we see that it gets evil. There's more evil, more evil, more evil, until God says, you know what? I'm wiping out everybody except Noah and his family. And he sends the flood and he wipes out everybody. But then he puts a rainbow in the cloud and he says, I'm not going to do it that way ever again. So then you have Noah and his family and they repopulate the earth. Coming, coming, coming. More people, more people. And God calls a man named Abraham. Abram at the time. And he calls him and he says, come from this land that you have. Go to a land that I will show you. Stop worshiping your idols. Come and worship me. And Abraham, Abram at the time, obeys. He says, I'm going to make a great nation from you. But Abraham and his wife were old. They didn't have any kids. But they believed God. So we then see that God does indeed bless them. They have a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob's name is changed. Does anyone know what it's changed to, congregation? To Israel. His name is changed to Israel. He has 12 sons, and we see this as the 12 tribes of Israel. God's people. They're to be His people. We then see through this very dysfunctional family that they end up down in Egypt because Joseph, they sell him 
That's what brothers do. <laughs> and they sell him, and he ends up down in Egypt. But what they meant for evil, God meant for good. He actually saved this nation by bringing him down because he lifted up Joseph to be able to be one who was in charge and gave him visions, and he was able to or interpret these visions, and he was able to say, we need to save food because the drought's coming and people are going to die. And the Israelites came down, and God used that to save them, and they were in Egypt, and things were pretty good for a while. And then an evil Pharaoh came and started to put them into slavery. And we see that they were in slavery for many, many, many years. But then God raised up Moses. And Moses' job was to lead God's people out of Egypt and take them to the promised land. And so he takes them out of Egypt. Of course, God works in great ways, and we see the plagues come on Egypt. And he takes them into the promised land. However, as God provides, they continually are stiff-necked people, and they complain, and they don't get to enter the promised land. Moses even doesn't get to enter, and he has to sit on a hill and see it from a distance. And that generation dies. But then God raises up Joshua. And Joshua leads his people, the Israelites, into the promised land, except that they don't obey God completely. We've talked about that before, that if you obey God some of the way or most of the way, that's not obeying God. Obey God all the way. But they didn't do it. And so even though they took the land, there were still these other peoples who worshipped other gods, and the people intermarried. And you see that their hearts went away, and they began to worship these other gods. So what would happen is after Joshua, we would see that God would discipline his people by sending other nations in, and then God would, they would cry out, Oh, God, help us. We're sorry. We repent. So he would raise up a judge in the book of Judges. And the judge would come and deliver God's people. And then you know what they would do? What was right in their own eyes, they'd do the same thing again, and they would start to go away. And he would bring a nation in to discipline them. Oh, God, we're so sorry. Help us. And he would bring up another judge. And we saw this continue. They even called one of these judges a king. Well, after this time, you know what they said? You know what we need, God? Here's what we need. We need a king. God said, I'm your king. No, no, no. We've got to be like the nations around us. We've got to have a king like they have. He said, all right. You want to go down that road? He raises up Saul. After Saul, a little short reign of one of his sons. And then we see King David. And David comes. And David does a lot of things wrong, but he is a man after God's own heart. And he promises David, he says, David, from your your line, someone's going to come and he's going to sit on the throne and he's going to reign forever. And the Israelites, they were under, they were, it was the United Kingdom under Saul and under David and even under David's son Solomon. It was a United Kingdom. A lot of gold, a lot of silver, a lot of success. We see it's passed on to Solomon. And Solomon, other than Jesus, would be the wisest man in the world. Except he had a wandering eye, and he went and took wives from Egypt that he wasn't supposed to do, and they worshipped other gods, and again, his heart, and he went away from the Lord his God. So the kingdom was united, and it looked really good, but then, after Solomon goes, we see his son and another one, we see the kingdom gets divided. The kingdom becomes divided. And so as the kingdom's divided, you have the northern kingdom, which are ten tribes in the north, with Samaria being their capital, and two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, and Jerusalem is the capital down there. And they have kings. There's a king in the north and a king in the south. And we see throughout the book of First and Second Kings and the Chronicles, we see these kings. And guess what? They weren't great kings. They were evil. 
But they were foreshadowing of one who would come, who would be the perfect king, the one that would come from the line of David. So they, the prophets were, then you see the different prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, you see the different prophets come in the Bible. And what these prophets are doing is what they're saying. Some are talking to the northern kingdom, some are talking to the southern kingdom, and here's what they're saying. Repent! Stop following your heart. Stop following these false gods. Stop worshiping these false gods. Repent and follow the Lord your God. Obey Him. Or else. And they would say, eh, we don't think you're going to do anything. And the southern kingdom would be the same thing. So the kingdom split around 930 B.C. Then we see in 722 B.C., we see that the Assyrians come in. God brings in the Assyrians, and the northern kingdom is wiped out. They're taken into captivity, and God said, I've warned you, and I've warned you, and I've warned you, and now I'm going to discipline you. And the northern kingdom is taken away. So then Judah, the southern kingdom, is left. And, he said, and some of the prophets say, hey, you see what happened there? Repent. You don't want to be in the same boat. Repent. Follow the Lord your God. Stop worshiping false idols. Stop living in sin. Repent. Repent. Did they repent? No, they didn't. And that's what the book of Habakkuk was about, was talking about that in particular as we walk through that. So in 586 B.C., the Babylonians come in and the southern kingdoms destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and they destroy the temple that was built and they took them into captivity. And then something amazing happens. The Israelites are spread out. Many have been killed. They're captives. There's no hope, or it seems like there's no hope. And then the book of Ezra happens. Let me read to you just a few verses out of the beginning of the book of Ezra. Listen to this. You had the Assyrians, you had the Babylonians, God working among these nations, and then a new nation comes up. Listen to this. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, you ever heard of the Persians? They're the ones that came next. Ezra 1.1. 1, 1. In the first year of Cyrus, of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the, mouth of Jeremiah, by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he had made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. This is a, a pagan king ruling over, and the Lord stirs up his heart. And here's what he says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is Judah. Do you see that? The king of a pagan nation, the Lord has stirred up his heart, and he says, you know what? God told me we need to build a temple in Jerusalem. Now that temple had been destroyed. Whoever is among you, listen to what he says. Here's his decree. The king, the one who's ruling over everything, or at least thinks he is. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold and with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Hey guys, you all get to go back because God told me you're supposed to. You're, you need to go build a temple. And by the way, wherever you're living, everyone else, give them a whole bunch of gold and silver so they can do it. That's how our God works. He is sovereign. 
We then see, if you read a little bit more into Ezra, what we see is they return, they go and do that, and they begin to build. The first thing they build is the altar so sacrifices could be made, and then they be begin to build the temple, and then problems start. And people in the area say, no, 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 uh -uh. this is bad, this is bad, no, 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 you can't be doing this, and persecution starts on God's people. And so I'd like to tell you that they persevered and they said, oh, we're going to do it anyway. But you know what they did? They stopped. And kings changed. We had a couple kings go in. It wasn't a long period of time, but we had some different kings. And so they wrote a letter and they sent it and said, look, these, these people, they're trying to build their, their temple and they're trying to do all this. And the new king said, you know what? All work stops. All work stops. And so the people were living there for 16 years when they had started, when they had gotten back and started the building, and they stopped for 16 years. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And that is where our book picks up with Haggai. Are you excited? Yeah. Amen! Yeah! That's good stuff! Can't believe I got through that without passing out. <laughs> All right. Haggai. Let's work through it. Now, we've read through, we're going to work through verse by verse, and we're going to see, that's the context of what's happened, so we're going to see what Haggai says. What happens? There's a new king on the throne, and what happened is God stirred his heart. A new Persian king is back, and God has stirred his heart. In the second year, verse 1, of Darius the king, right down the line, those who were against, now God has stirred this guy's heart. In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. He's the governor because kings weren't allowed anymore. Remember that we had the kings going, kings, kings, kings. Well, they had the captivity, no more kings, so he's the governor now, but it's kind of like the king. The governor of Judah and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. You have the king and the high priest. And the word of the Lord comes to them, the leaders of Israel right now. Thus says the verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild, rebuild the house of the Lord. He's saying, the people here, the Israelites, they're listening to the people around them. They're listening to the culture. They're listening to those who are around, and everybody else says, no, -uh, you shouldn't build. So here's what God's people are saying. We shouldn't build. They're not doing what they should be doing. They, should, they are not following the Lord. They say, no, no, it's not time. We're going to get to that one day, God. Yeah. Ever do that? I'm going to get to that one day, God. Here's what the Lord says. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lie in lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You see what's happened? They're, they're back in the land. God has brought them back in the land. They started to, they started to obey God, and then they stopped because persecution came. So they've been doing nothing but looking out after themselves, building their own lives, their own kingdoms, their own houses. They're focused on themselves. And the temple where they were supposed to rebuild, the temple where the very presence of God would be so he could be worshipped and glorified, the temple remains in ruins. But hey, we've got our nice house. We're doing okay. And God says, is that right? Is that right, congregation? What do we think? No, no. no, the answer is no, if you didn't know. It's okay. The answer is no. 
God says, no, that's not how it's supposed to be. And so what's interesting is even though they would focus on their life, they would focus on their house and they had houses and they had things, what's interesting is look what the next verses say. Here's what was happening for them. You have sown much and harvested little. Working really hard and yeah, they're having enough, but they don't get what they should have. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns his wages does so to put them into bags with holes. Right? A few things might stay in, but it's just fallen out of the bottom. Yes, they're getting by. They're focusing on themselves, but they are not being blessed. This could, you could talk about this stuff, obviously, financially and stuff, but I'm talking about our lives completely. If we're not focused on the Lord, if we're not prioritizing the right way, you might say, well, I'm working hard to find joy, but you're not going to find it. You're going to be putting it in a bag, and it's going to be slipping out of the bottom. I'm looking hard for hope. I'm looking hard for peace. My relationships, I just really want them to work. You're going to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying, and God will not bless that because your priorities are off. That's what's going on with them. That's what's going on with them. Let's see how it continues. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He said it twice now. Brothers and sisters, this is something, this is one of the takeaways for today. Consider your ways. What's the priorities in your life? Are you about chasing your kingdom or are you about building his kingdom? That's the question. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. What what are they supposed to do? Go, get the wood, bring it back and build the house. That's clear. This is what we're supposed to do. Okay. Why though? that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Why is the temple supposed to be built? Why are we supposed to focus on the kingdom of God? Why are we supposed to spread his kingdom so he would take pleasure in it and us and he would be glorified? That's the plan. So the question is, what am I doing with my priorities? Is my life, am I doing things for his glory? Is that clear? Am I just doing it to do it because I want to? That's what he's saying. He gets back to explain what's been happening for them. And you looked, verse 9, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with your own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, the earth has withheld its produce. And I, look, look at this, and I have called for a drought. Who's doing this? This is the Lord. This is the Lord doing this to His people. Why? To teach them. Whatever's going on in your life where you're lacking, whether that is something possibly financially, that doesn't always mean that you're not obeying. I'm not saying that. But in the context of here, what are you lacking? What are you struggling with? What's going on? The reason that it could be that there's no blessing is your priorities aren't right. He isn't first. Jesus said it a different way, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Right? Read it out loud. Read it to me. Come on, read. Seek first the kingdom. Guess what? Everything else then comes. Brothers and sisters, you know what we do? <laughs> we seek everything else. We do it. We're, no, we're no different than the people here. We do this. I've called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the grounds brings forth, 
on the man and beast and on their labors. He says, I'm doing this so you will get your priorities right. And I know what you're thinking. This does not feel very hopeful. Ouch for some of us. But there's more. Let's continue. Last section. Last section. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor, the leader on that side, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed, what did they do? Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. They obeyed. They heard the voice of the Lord and they obeyed. Here's the hope. Are you ready? Here it comes. When you hear the voice of the Lord and you obey, here's the hope. Ready? Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. Here's the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Amen. Amen? He's with you. If you repent and you turn and say, Lord, I have not had the right priorities. I am not doing things the right way. But Lord, I'm going to do it. Here's the thing. He's with you. He will work in you by His Spirit. He will work through you. He is with you. He is not going to leave you or forsake you. And the fact that you respond, the fact that they respond this way, shows that He's with them. When you respond in repentance, in faith, to whatever He's showing you on your mixed up priorities, that shows that He's with you. You can't respond that way on your own strength. You won't. You'll say, yeah, I know my priorities are off, but eh, I think I'm going to do it. That's how you respond if you don't have the Spirit of God. But brothers and sisters, hear the Word of the Lord. If you will reprioritize, if we will reprioritize things and make sure that He is first in all areas and His glory is first, our God is with us. And the Lord, look, verse 14, and the Lord stirred up the heart. Look, listen, you can't do this without the Lord stirring your heart. You see what they do? He's stirring their heart. Are you hearing God stirring your heart right now? If you're not, maybe you don't have His Spirit yet. But if you are, then look. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. Look, and they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. That's repentance. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, I've been doing it wrong. It's a change of mind that results in a change of action. They, do, they listen to what God said. They go, they get the work. They came and they worked on the house of the Lord their God. Are we going to work on the house of the Lord our God? Are we going to work for the kingdom or for our own kingdom? And then it ends with this. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. That's chapter 1. Next week, we'll get into part of chapter 2. What's the takeaway? Number 1, consider your ways. Have a moment with God. You can do it certainly in the response time where we're going to respond to Him. But even throughout the week, consider your ways. God, show me what my priorities are. Once you see what they are, repent of them. Say, Lord, I'm wrong. Humble yourself and say, I'm wrong. And I repent and get to work on reprioritizing. Make the changes that need to be made. And then the third thing is hope in the Lord your God. That He will help you do it and that He is with you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
sovereign God who rules over all nations, who speaks through the mouth of prophets, who speaks to us through your living and active word. Lord, we are thankful that you have a plan, that you are over your plan, you are sovereign, and your plan is heading as it should. And at the same time, Lord, we confess to you that there are times in our lives, aspects where we have gotten the priorities mixed and we have not been about building your kingdom so you can be worshiped and glorified. We've been about building our own. And so, Lord, we confess that to you and ask for forgiveness. And we ask that by your spirit, you would help us to do what's right. Show us what's right through your word. And Lord, we thank you that you are with us, Lord. You are our hope. Just like for those people back in that day that they were hoping in the coming Messiah, that promised seed from Genesis, the promised one from Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the promised one of David. We are so thankful that we're on this side and we've, got, we've been able to see that that's Jesus. So I pray for those who are here, Lord, if they have not trusted in the fact the coming Messiah, the one who died on the cross to crush the head of the serpent and to appease the wrath of God. And after three days he rose, Lord, if they have not trusted in that, I pray that they would today. Lord, as, as they were looking forward to Jesus' first coming and we're today looking back at his first coming, preparing our hearts to celebrate that, Help us to look forward and hope in Jesus' second coming. Help us to build your kingdom every moment of every day until he comes back. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen.